0: Welcome to another episode of Code for Thought. This episode is all about reproducibility. In particular, reproducibility of research software. It's also a bit of an experiment, as it covers an event held at the University College London for over a week, online, in late 2020. The event was the first of its kind held at UCL. But let's roll this back a little bit. Imagine you're a brilliant scientist who just finished a set of experiments. You want to publish the results in a renowned science journal. You submit your article with all the data tables and figures showing your research results. The journal then sends it off to experts in the field for review. This is to make sure that your article is consistent and makes scientific sense. You get a few comments back, you put them in, you make some corrections and voila, your paper gets published. This process, known as peer review, is well established and the traditional way of publishing scientific data. So what exactly is missing in this picture? Well, most research nowadays involves software, and let's assume the data you just published in a journal come out of a software application that you and your research colleagues wrote. So who refused the software? Who makes sure that it does what it says on the tin? And this is exactly the idea behind Reproducibility Hackathon, or sort ReproHack. But let's hand over to Anna Cristalli. Anna is a research software engineer at the University of Sheffield in the UK and one of the leaders of the ReproHack events and network. And here she gives us a brief overview of the history of ReproHacks and what they can accomplish. Anna, you've been involved in ReproHacks right from the beginning. Maybe you can give a quick introduction to yourself before we start.
1: I'm Anna Cristalli. I'm a research software engineer at the University of Sheffield. Uh, but I, yeah, I've been involved in the Reaper hacks even before I became an RSC. So I started getting involved as I was finishing my PhD around uh, 2014, 2015. So yeah, that's that's my background.
0: So, what is a Reaper hack event exactly? So, how did it come about and why is it good?
1: I'll, I'll lead with history. It was initially part of OpenCon satellite events and the idea behind what well, well it was originally inspired by a course run by Owen Petchi, which is called Reproducible Research in Ecology, Evolution, Behavior and Environmental Studies. It's quite a mouthful. But what they do in that course is they they try and reproduce results from the original data but we only had a day for the events we were trying to organize for OpenCon. And so we decided to make the challenge to be, to try and reproduce a, a res, published result from uh, published code and data. So both the code and data were available and the challenge was just to try and reproduce the result. We ran a couple of these events uh, for in Berlin in 2016 and London in uh, 2017. Uh, and then not much happened for a bit until uh, I made the Rebro Hacks or, or reviving the initiative part of my SSI fellowship, uh, which I started a couple of years ago. That, that's when we s- sort of started revisiting it and running more events. What we found that's really nice about these events is it's now we sort of view it as a sandbox for practicing reproducible research. So it gives authors an opportunity to um, test drive their papers, if you like. So, so far, right. all the papers that have been worked on at Hack events have been submitted by the authors. And during a Hack event, so uh, while participants during an event are trying to reproduce a paper, they fill in a feedback form Uh, that gets them to focus on aspects like reproducibility, reusability, transparency, documentation. And then all that feedback goes back to the original author. So the original authors get uh, not just uh, uh, the result, you know, whether someone Mm. managed to reproduce or not, but they get specific feedback on the experiences that other people had trying to work with their materials so authors find that really useful and then again participants find it really useful in terms of you know there's a there's a big deal made about how especially now when you start your phd you need to make your work reproducible uh, and why it's important but what we found is there's not a lot of opportunity to practice and right. so th- both producing such work but also working with other people's work so participants get uh the opportunity to work with the with the real real life materials rather than sort of dummy materials where we're trying to just introduce gently a few basic concepts, so we think this not that we don't need training and we don't need simple examples of things to try and introduce concepts, but we think that also working with something like a like a full a real life example is just really beneficial, and both of those together. Uh, can really help people learn what it takes to make to, to build reproducible
0: research. You, we mentioned the UK and you're of course in the, mm-hmm. at the university in Sheffield. I mean are these ReproHack events running outside the UK as well?
1: Yeah, in fact, the maybe after my SSI fellowship, I ran one event in Manchester and then got contacted by uh, some our ladies in Leiden. Or in the Netherlands, they're not all in Leiden, right. but they wanted to organize a Leiden event, which went really well actually. They probably ran the biggest event uh, up to that date. And then mm, quite a few of them ended up uh, joining and forming the core team of the reaper uh, of the Hack project as it stands now so yes we've had one in leiden we've had one in pi data la and then recently uh, one of our core team members uh, florencia de andrea she ran one as part of Latin R, which was Latin in spanish Latin. i tried to understand i understood some of it <laughs> but it, it was quite exciting to get all the materials translated into spanish and have a whole Whole event run in a in a different language. That was quite exciting.
0: But back to the University College London and my colleague David, who organized the whole event as part of the Open Science Week held at UCL in October 2020. I spoke to him before the kickoff. David, why don't you introduce yourself first?
2: I'm David. I'm a research software developer at University College London. My background before I become an RSC was uh, in astrophysics, particularly to look looking at the sun and doing what is called solar physics. I understand you're
0: running a repro hack. So uh, could you tell me a little bit about what this repro hack is? Is it your first one, actually?
2: It is my first one as the organizer. I've attended a, I could say, one and a half before. The first one I attended was by by Anna, who you interviewed, and she ran that episode, that episode, that uh, (laughs) hack, a year and a half ago, and that was quite uh, interesting, that was quite uh, illustrative in the sense of seeing whether you could reproduce a paper. As a researcher myself, I've been in that situation before, but not with papers that provide code. So that was an a eye-opener in a way. And then I had attended a new one uh, last week as part of the Latin R where I was kind of uh, helping. This time is I'm organizing it once. So it will be an online event and it will be different because it will be over multiple days instead of uh, only a single day as the previous one I attended.
0: Yeah, that's quite a different thing. So how do you think it's going to be? I mean, what are the challenges for running this online?
2: So Ryan right lines have its own challenges in terms of you're not in a room with people and shouting between different groups for help. You're going to be on a online room, either a brick and room of any of the tools that are available, and that by itself is a challenge already. The other challenge is that you're gonna look over the shoulders what other people are doing or how to help them in a way that it would be uh useful. You you need to wait kind of for them to say, hey, I need help. Uh, whether in a live place, uh physical place, I should say. You can see their faces. It's like kind of like in in teaching, right? So you could see who may be struggling or who may need help even before they ask for it. Last week was online, the one that the, as part of the Latin R, and it works very well. So I'm. I think that ours here at UCL could be as exciting as that one.
0: How many people have registered for it?
2: So far, there's only a 16 people. Only 16. That's that's quite a few, actually. Yeah, sure. Now the other challenge that we have uh, is that we are going to run it over a week, where normally in the previous ones they've been an event of a day or an event of a few hours. So you have the people full attention over that time. I wanted to experiment a little bit in this one and have it over a extended period of time so people could work on it on their own rhythm without having to have much pressure on I have to do that in, in 20 minutes, which on a side, it may be good. On the other side, it could be bad as well because it may dissolve their enthusiasm over the whole week and don't complete it or forget about it or get into other things that happen in life. So let's see how it goes. Are you nervous? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I, this is exciting. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited. I'm not nervous in a sense of panicking that it will go wrong. I was a few days ago when I only have two people raised there. One day I saw they were more than 10. they like, okay, you know, it's fine.
0: And so the big day arrived... And as usual with these events, it started with a kickoff. But I hand over to David again, who actually introduced the whole event and what to expect from it.
2: Uh, I want to welcome you to the first UCL ReproHack that we are doing as part of the Open Access Week. Some additional considerations is that because we're going to be reproducing papers from authors. So choosing to have in mind, reproducibility is hard not for us to do the but also to provide something that is reproducible, And also that the authors that have submitted their papers are incredibly brave because they are putting in there, say, okay, try, test my paper.
0: As part of the kickoff, David invited an expert from Latin art to help set the scene.
2: I would like you to introduce uh, Dr. Daniela Malari. She is a researcher and lecturer at the Universidad de la Suay in Ecuador, and she's expert on geoinformational and geostatistics. She's a great supporter of reproducibility, and she loves R, so I heard.
0: In the presentation, Dr. Valeri demonstrated the challenges that people face when they try to reproduce other people's work and software.
3: Reproducibility, we, we can have like a spectrum, and on the one side of this spectrum we have uh, only the publication with not no reproducible code at all. And on the other side, we have a full replication in which we can execute and with the same data, the same analysis, and reach or achieve the same results. A very recent publication of Kulima in this same year. This is a work in ecology. She checked in all the published literature and I'm trying to, to describe in what step of this of this spectrum are most of the published papers. So, 73% of the of the paper did not provide any code at all. A 5% not provided some code but not all the code, and 1% did not provide the data. So we, we have a 21% of the literature of the paper that have, have the potential of being reproducible, but they didn't provide a, any kind of information to, to do that. She concluded that 20, 26% did not use a, a free software. So this can be a limitation sometimes for accessing to the license of that code even if they use an open source software 56% did not provide the or the, the data was incomplete and finally another 46% did not provide this, the specific software version so this type of research in this case is from the ecology area but is a, is being doing in different areas of science. And at least in my, in my area, that is spatial analysis, there are some uh, very recent papers that are doing this same kind of analysis, trying to, to put on, on the focus the need to start in doing reproducible science.
0: Dr. Valeri certainly puts the challenge of reproducing papers into perspective. And it's quite sobering when you think how hard it still is to have published papers being reproduced and being reproducible. So clearly there's still a lot to do. But back to the event. So following her presentation and after settling the logistics of the event, the team then started to reproduce a set of a dozen selected papers. And in a couple of moments you'll be hearing from two participants, Xi Sheng and Alexandra, how it went for them. But for now, let's summarize it. So, during a ReproHack event, which is what we just learned, a set of papers are selected, papers that have been made available by the authors, along with the data and the software. Following that, participants then try to reproduce the software results with the data and the software given, filling out a form that will be then handed back to the author as a constructive feedback. And before we go and talk to Xi Sheng and Alexandra, I actually wanted to find out what the common problems are that could occur when you try to reproduce papers. So let's take us back to Anna. From your experience, what are the common feedback items that you get? Where do people detect problems? Documentation. <laughs> oh, right. <Okay>. Documentation.
1: <laughs> the most common thing is documentation and just just assuming a level of knowledge and understanding of the project that until someone else that isn't connected to your project tries to uh, work with your code, most of the most common issues could be solved with just a slightly more detailed README.
0: So documentation appears to be the problem number one of reproducing papers. But now let's hear from Shi Sheng and Alexandra how the event went for them. Here's Shi Sheng Hello, Lu Xixing. Uh Very nice to see you and hear you. I believe that you take part in the ReproHack at UCL.
4: Yeah, that was my first time to attend the ReproHack.
0: Can you give us a quick uh, introduction of uh, what you're doing at UCL?
4: My research area is the epidemiological and the public health of older adult uh, among uh, China and the uh, UK.
0: Why did you join the ReproHack event?
4: I think uh, it's a better way to learn it, how to code uh, by replicating replicate other researchers uh, code. And uh, by attending the ReproHack hack, and I have learned a lot about uh, how to do it. And also, the ReproHack has uh, taught me that uh, I... Should share my code to others.
0: How was the repro hack for you? I mean, what did did you find out? Anything interesting in the trying to reproduce the paper?
4: I tried to reproduce the code, and I found found that it was not very easy. We only uh-huh. success part of the research. For example, there are three figures in that paper, but we can only produce one fingers of by, by the coding. As you can see the, the code is always very long and uh, we, we couldn't find the error and uh, it's very hard.
0: Getting and trying to run other people's code obviously is hard. And here's the experience from Alexandra, another participant of the ReproArc event. Hi Alexandra. Hi Peter. You took part in the ReproHack, and uh, maybe you could start by introducing yourself quickly.
5: Uh, so I'm a postdoc at UCL School of Pharmacy, and broadly my research is about um, therapy and diagnostics using uh, gold based nanomaterials and like.
0: What brought you to ReproHack in the first place?
5: I've been thinking a great deal about open science recently, mm. and then uh, recently I was listening to the uh, launch of the open science uh, office at UCL. Someone mentioned there all the events they're running this week with open science week and then uh, I kind of stumbled across this event and 15 minutes before it started.
0: (laughs) 15 (laughs) minutes indeed yeah. What is it that fascinates you about open science?
5: I suppose it's a belief that science should be self-correcting. Science is becoming more and more complex and we're working more and more in teams and if we are not incredibly open and transparent about what we do, we'll, I mean, the other thing is that science should be building upon science.
0: What kind of paper did you actually look at?
5: The general idea was based on bioinformatics data to identify, well, to use a new model to identify uh, genes that drive cancer. Uh, they also used, we did some experimental bits in, that, in there, and I found that very interesting.
0: Uh, what did you find out? <laughs>
5: um, <laughs> I, I, I would I would launch a disclaimer to say that maybe the science is is a bit more than what I can handle, or at least with the time that I that mm. I had this week. But in terms of uh, computational reproducibility, I unfortunately was unable to reproduce most mm. of the figures slash data that they generated there.
0: Could you find out why that was?
5: So I think from the discussion with others, there, there were similar trends in that there were some discrepancies between the documentation and the paper itself. I think the helpful thing was that there was, so this particular paper used used R well as a language to write their code and their script. And so they, they uh, provide an R-Mark document, which is essentially a document where you have bits of text explaining what the code is going to do and then the code itself. So it was quite easy to follow and see where things were failing in that sense, but it's nevertheless unfortunate that it did fail. Xi
0: Cheng and Alexandra more or less reflect what both Dr. Valeri and Anna said about the common failings when trying to reproduce papers. But as both Anna and Dr. Valeri mentioned at the beginning, reproducing papers is only a part of what ReaperHug events try to accomplish. Really the main drive is to introduce and establish the concept of reproducibility in the work of researchers. To think about that the software they use to produce results needs to be testable and reproducible. This requires a shift in mindset, as Dr. Daniela Valeri put it in the VPRAC event meeting.
3: We need to still work quite a lot, uh, trying to allow this cultural shift. Now we are in an environment in which sometimes we got like a reward for publishing more and more citable, but also publishing more. But now we need to make a shift in which maybe, not maybe, is better, maybe to publish less, but with higher standards. So we need to, to spread the word about, about uh, reproducible science and starting to apply in our day, daily life.
0: That sounds like a formidable challenge. Because in research, the principle of publish or perish still reigns supreme. But maybe events like ReproHacks can gradually bring about some change for a more reproducible science output. As Anna mentioned, ReproHack events like the one at UCL have sprung up across the globe and are running in different countries. In the final part of this episode, I wanted to know from Anna what she thinks the future of ReproHack will be. So how do you see the future of ReproHacks? Because, I mean, we get an awful lot of papers being pushed mm-hmm. out. It's impossible probably to check all of them for reproducibility. But so how do you see the future of hack? What What's the end game, if you like?
1: Well, to be honest, ideally, we won't need ReproHacks in the future, this sort of a code reviewing or re- reviewing code as part of the academic process will be normalized. feels like something that you might wanna be doing within your lab groups before you publish mm-hmm. papers, have your peers uh, and colleagues try and reproduce your papers. To me, th- the reason this is important isn't just learning about reproducibility, it's ultimately it's about getting more eyes on code. It's about training people to to effectively uh, look at code is, is what Rebra hacks are all about. But ultimately the whole, what all of this is about for me is more eyes on code. Means we, we pick up more errors that we're bound to make. The more eyes on code for me means more robust research, especially given how, or how computation intensive our research is becoming. So really I'd, I'd imagine these to be like, we have journal clubs, we have maybe they're not called Rebra hacks, but you you have this activity embedded especially within disciplines where coding is important. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully they'll disappear. (laughs) But but for the time being, I think, uh, you know, the more events we can have where people can practice, uh, the better.
0: I hope this episode has given you an idea about what a reprohack event is, how it is set up, and what its aims are. And maybe, hopefully, it will inspire you to join such an event in future, and maybe even run one. As for the participants and organisers of the REPRAC event at UCL, it's been an exciting week and a lot of fun, despite the fact that it was held entirely online and spread over several days. No doubt we'll be able to get back to meeting in person once the pandemic subsides. In the meantime, let me finish with this thought. I think we live in exciting times. There's an enormous output of research and science happening around the globe. And with software being at the core of most of this output, traditional science communication and publishing is being challenged. And quite rightly so. The hope is that events like ReproHacks change the mindsets and habits of researchers to make their output more reproducible. And hopefully this will lead to a future where checking software and tools used to create research data is part of an established routine. Or as they say, business as usual. And with that, goodbye.